This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mopac Audio. You know, they saw me with the black eye and I had a concussion. He sells everything he gets his hands on. Change the locks, Nina. Change the locks. My dad was... I just got to say it. He was a child molester. It was a very toxic marriage and environment. Open Group Therapy calls on a revolving cast of members each week to complement the work of renowned psychologist Dr. Matthew Paradise. Each episode focuses on one person's experience. You'll hear that person interacting with peers in the group whose names they might not even know but whose counsel and compassion are impactful nonetheless. You'll also hear that person speaking in private with Dr. Paradise. This is a time when Dr. Paradise can discuss the group experience as it relates to the individual. Dr. Paradise uses a mixture of direct questioning along with humor to both support and challenge the group. He provides an attentive ear, but will also call someone out. Dr. Paradise speaks openly and expects others to do the same. Only through this kind of open dialogue can real growth occur. Whenever folks stay pretty close to their ex, post-divorce or even post-separation, it's really imperative to look at the motivations behind the closeness, and they're often mismatched. So sometimes people stay close, and ostensibly it'd always be like for the benefit of the kids or, or something like that. But more often, I see people stay close because they want to get back together. Or somebody may have a financial reason to stay close together. They're still extracting some support, financial or otherwise, from the parent. Sometimes when somebody's misbehaved really badly, they want to stay friends afterwards because it's a little bit like a pardon for what they did. So somebody goes off and has an affair with, with somebody and, and tears up the marriage. And if they stay friendly afterwards and they can say, oh, it wasn't a big deal, we're still friends, we still get along. And so they're staying friends in order to minimize what they did. And a lot of times the, the person who is harmed will stay friends, again, maybe not to process the damage that was done. So the motivation is critical. And if the motivations line up, I, I think it's great when couples stay close. But in, in Nina's situation in particular, it felt like he was using her as a, an ATM machine, really. I think she needs to ask herself why she's staying so close to him. 
In this episode, Nina left her negligent husband, but he won't give her the space and serenity she's looking for. In order to allow her children to know their father, she's agreed to not move them away with her. At the root of it all is a dark episode from her childhood. My name is Nina. I am a mother of two, a 15-year-old and a 23-year-old uh, son. Um, I've been divorced since 2012, so quite a bit of time, but because of the issues and with, within the marriage and the fact that I have no family here, I've still been kind of clinging to this man. And if I remember, he's been sort of in and out of your house post-divorce, right? <laughs> yes, and taking things along the way, yes. Uh, so, I mean, he's, he's always been a great father, so I can't take that away from him. Um, and my daughter, you know, she loves her dad. Yeah. But that's a part of it, the co-parenting, but she's getting older and so she really doesn't need either of us as yeah, much yep, anymore. Yep. But I'm still kind of, it's that whole a daughter needs her father kind of thing that lingers in my mind. And I had a strong relationship with my dad. So it's, I don't want to keep her from her dad. Well, shoot, she has her own cell phone. So if he needs to talk to her, he can call her her on her phone. But I don't want him at my house. So he doesn't have a car anymore. He's, he sells everything he gets his hands on, uh, whether it's his or someone else's. So mm-hmm. if change they, the locks, Nina, change the locks. Oh, oh that was done probably three times. Oh, uh, my God. I, oh, yeah. When exes interact, there's a, a pair of motivations. There's a motivation on one side and a motivation on the other side. Yeah. And those motivations have to be complementary for it to work. If one person is keeping contact in order to get back together or to make the ex feel guilty or something like that, and the other one's doing it to be nice and be kind, those aren't complementary. So you have to examine what your motivations are for keeping that contact. And it sounds like maybe being nice to your daughter or not being a mean person. And I think his... Motivation is probably to get like a free ride. I mean, it, it is, I'm right. sure. Yeah. Of one sort or another, right? Yeah. Yeah, right? Yes. So yeah. To, to get a ride somewhere. Um, so, <laughs> you, yeah. So, you, you need to examine how those are different and, and, and set up boundaries that recognize those different motivations. And so, I do, in an attempt, and it's probably slight effort, to move towards that. Yeah. I talk to my daughter constantly, hey, things have to change. Like I cannot, the contact with him is not good for me. It's, it, it's mm-hmm. toxic for me. Things have to change. Like we, I, I almost feel like I'm kind of setting the stage for this zero <laughs> contact because yeah. it's going to be a blow to her emotionally just because she's been so used to it for so long. Um, but I kind of feel like I need to kind of prepare her and myself, probably, to some degree. And, you know, that. the timing on it's actually relatively good because your daughter's getting older, mm-hmm. so you are probably more able now and moving forward to reduce your contact without compromising her con- 
tech quite as much. Yes. And it doesn't mean you're never going to see him. It doesn't mean you can't drop her off with him or something like that. It just means that you're not going to be giving him more stuff. I mean, that is the nature of your relationship, isn't it? It is. Like he just takes. You're, you're an ATM. Yeah. And, and he knows your code, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, yeah. he just. That is your code. Yeah. 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 I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just he's just withdrawal after withdrawal, yes. right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we need to get like a piece of paper that says this this ATM is closed. Yeah. T-shirt, yeah. hat. So so yeah, okay. let's let's try to be. I'm trying to think of a concrete way for her to enact this. Like what what's one thing you could not do for him or give to him that you've been giving pretty freely to this point. Um, just my, my, my time. Like when okay. he calls, I answers or I mean, I answer or, um, like no one really knows. So, so something as simple as not picking up his phone calls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's urgent, now. if it's urgent, he may he, he yeah. text you even, and then, but then, but yeah. you know, you even then you don't need to respond. So that's, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It is. I, you're just not going to answer his calls. And I've I've right. had to block, you know, just put it in my phone to block yeah, the yeah. number. And don't let him come over to your house. Well, you luckily go. we stay. <laughs> He's in the city, and I'm, you know. Yeah, and, and, and a bike. He has no cars. A bicycle no, can only no go car, that exactly. so far. <laughs> Can't just show up. No, that wouldn't be good. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, but you can drop off your daughter at his place whenever it's her time to see him. Drop yeah. drop her off at his place. Pick her up from his place, but you don't have to see him. You don't have to talk to him. Just right at the front door. And we did discuss that recently. Like, you're going to have your set weekend or day, and exactly. I'm going to, for that reason, just to and start. And he's supposed to be at her track Perfect. meet or mm-hmm. something, he needs to find a friend to give him a ride, or he can take an Uber. <laughs> take the, the bus. Yeah. It is not your responsibility. That's right. Yeah. And she might be disappointed, but, you know... He's got to take and, care of and, his and stuff. And on, a, on a concrete level, as you start to think about yourself and what you're doing, that tends to mark a shift, which tends to predict positive outcomes. So, Olga, how did how did you do it? Um, I because I decided to go no contact for my own sanity. First of all, like no, and no means. Zero, I had grown up kids and I had decided that if I needed, absolutely I would have a contact, but other than that, no. And it was zero. And then I decided, you know, and, and I went through a process. What, I, what am I gonna do with myself, you know, emotionally? Do I even wanna get with another person ever? Uh, mm-hmm. What am I gonna do with somebody, you know, with my occupation? Am I, I cannot support myself with just yoga. What am I gonna do? So I thought, you know, uh, let me, maybe I can teach. Let me go. And I went to schools, you know, because mm-hmm. I'd been like a substitute teacher at some point, you know, I think maybe I can do that. And I'm going, no, I just, I just got my kids to grow up and I don't wanna be around kids anymore, you know, but it's a moment of truth. Um, Nina, Looked very interested. You, yes. you almost, almost like wow. Yeah, right. How she do it? <laughs> Seriously, because that's been my biggest struggle, and and I think for me, I'm so like I almost feel like there's something in my wiring that's a bit off. Simply because he was abusive. He didn't want to work. Like I was supporting the family. I was doing everything. And I still stayed 
And I continue to stay and I continue to support, you know, putting him through class and trainings and, oh, I don't want to work. Okay, then, you know, I was very accommodating. And I don't for the life of me know why if I was being hurt so much. And so to hear, you know, her say it was I had to just say, you know what, zero contact. Period. Let's, I don't want to talk. That is so hard for me to do. And I don't know why. At this point, Nina and Dr. Paradise examined the group discussion. One thing they were curious about is that um, Olga pointed out that she really needed to do a no contact policy with her ex and just cut it yeah. completely. She said she couldn't even be in the like same location with him. And it, it sort of resonated with you, didn't it? It did. A, a lot. Because that's been the hardest part after the divorce in 2012. It's been the no contact. It's been some reason for him to contact me or me to contact him or feel like we have yeah. to be get together for whatever reason. Yeah. And there's probably still energy between you guys. I think so. We had a really, we were friends before we got yeah. married. We had yeah. a long, long uh, friendship, long last standing friendship um, before the marriage. And that, I think, plays a huge part. In do, you, do you feel like you're friends now? I do to some degree, but I don't know why I want, like, a part yeah. of me is, is in a constant battle because why would I want this kind of friend? <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, if he was just a friend, you would have yeah. kicked him to the I curb, right? I talked to my yeah. kids about establishing positive friendships, yeah. and here I am showing the complete opposite, you know. Yeah, if you them. had a friend who was pawning your stuff, yes, you'd get rid of him, right? I would. Yeah, okay, yeah. so you're, you're even more tolerant of him than you would be of any friend. Absolutely. Okay, so that's good that you realize that. So, um... They're talking about the group being supportive of your balancing sort of that need to to stay close uh, in service of your daughter. Yes. Yeah. And the parent relationship. But your own, I, I think if your daughter were grown up, it would be easier, wouldn't it? Oh, my gosh. I'd probably be in the Philippines working. <laughs> oh, you think you would have transferred? 100%. Okay. So even where you live is in service of your daughter maintaining yes. that relationship with her dad. And, yeah. I, I would have yeah. transferred to another office a long time ago. Interesting. Now let's rejoin the group. For me, I did not. I was the kid that didn't want to disappoint my parents. Um, I stayed close to the house to the to to my parents. Yep. I was a pleaser. Like I didn't want to make them angry and and things like that. And so. It went, it was so far, I went so far as like my mom, she didn't work. Even though we need, my dad needed help from what I could see as a child growing up. But because she didn't do certain things, I made up in my mind, you know what? I'm not going to be that woman that has to stay in the in a relationship or situation because of finances. So then I started working my ass off. <laughs> I went to school, you know, I was the yep. first one to go to college and then the first one to get a master's. And then, I, you know, it was that kind of cycle, but it was because I was stuck on something that I just did not like. And I did, I refused to see happen or I, I didn't want to become that person. So I, it sounds like he didn't want to 
disappointed or he, he wanted to, you know, didn't want to feel like he failed at something. Yeah. And uh, the difference between a marriage and grad school is a marriage is not always made better by just adding more effort and studying harder. You know what I mean? You, you can't cram a for a marriage. Because right. yeah. <laughs> a marriage is, is two people, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. can be working your butt off in your marriage and if something else is going on on the other side, there's no matter how hard you study. All that effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. So it's, divorce is really hard for overachievers because overachievers tend to meet a problem with more effort, right? And you yes, feel like you yeah. failed. That's another thing. And, and a lot of folks, before they get divorced, believe that divorce is a mark of not enough effort or selfishness. Or, so, you know, they, we make all these attributions about what well, leads to divorce. Well, the selfishness, sometimes you need to be selfish for yourself. And I think a lot I don't of women know how to do that. have a very hard time to be Correct. selfish. Yes. Choose themselves over the marriage. First. One of my favorite thing about divorced people is that we've let go of that judgment of other people around that. So yeah. when you're not divorced and you look at a divorce, you're like, ooh, I wonder who was cheating. Ooh, I want, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you have all these, and after you've been through divorce, you're like, oh man, I bet that was hard. You know what I mean? You have yes. all this empathy for how complex and challenging and that it's not really about blame. No. If you listen, and I've sat on both sides of a divorce, I hear both of them talking, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. If you talk to a couple's therapist about what causes divorce, they don't blame one member of the couple. They always talk about it in terms of the system. It's something about the interaction, a mismatch, something like that. And we get caught in this blame model, and it doesn't help us to get through it. But it's also reinforced by society, because I remember once in a group, like I had a book club, and and I announced that there were like maybe eight or nine of us, and they were all women, and they were all married. And the moment I announced that, the one person there, like I'm like, I couldn't believe what she said. She goes, wow, I should be, I should uh, be more present and take better care of my husband. As if, you know, she's blaming me for the failure of the marriage. <laughs> and I'm like, I was like, it was silence because everybody felt the same way I did. I'm like, are you blaming me for this? I don't have any friends or anyone that I can trust enough to tell them something Yes. And keep it to yourself. I just want to tell you, you know. <laughs> and if you don't want to say nothing, that's cool. You know, I, I don't have any, I don't have no friends. Like, oh, actually, my God, Carlos. You know, yeah, you need that. And, and, and I don't have family. I don't want to tell my parents or my brothers about it because I don't want to. That's why I'm here for that reason. I'm here for that reason. And I this is all I got right here. It was opposite because my family, they're nosy. They want to know <laughs> who, how it happened. What, so you don't want to tell them? I don't want to tell because I'm a bit embarrassed. They are yeah. here. And, you know, they're a bit violent. So they're like, you know, it's... We're going to roll them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Luckily, you're in Texas because we are ready to come and whip some ass. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so, um, <laughs> which I can understand. But then at the same time, it did not help my, my true situation. You're from a family where there are these rock-solid, long marriages... And yes. you're now the outlier, aren't you? I well, I'm not. Well, I, to a degree, I'm not the only one who ended up in divorce. Mm-hmm. But from the standpoint of it, when he spoke about it, he just seemed to just admire and just you know 
that's really what he wanted was that long-standing two-parent household and he didn't want to disappoint his parents you know they don't even want to talk they don't talk about it so that's what I got from that and that for me is what kept me for so many years and then in in my in, in the black culture it seems that we stand more on oh I love this person versus how toxic or how healthy or unhealthy is this relationship? Do you, do you think you grew up with like a greater tolerance of, of bad husbands? My mom should have left. Mm-hmm. Um, I love my dad, uh, but, but he, he wasn't a good husband. It was it was not a no. It was a very toxic uh, marriage and environment in general. Um, they were interested in how your family's little bit. In, we'll call it. We'll call them inquisitive. About the de- the details of your voice, and probably even the relationship afterwards. Yeah, so I'm guessing this is cousins and sisters and mom, sisters, brother. Um, because I came from a big family, it was yeah. nine of us. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So um, before when I before I moved out here to Texas, you know, they saw me with the black eye and the you know the spring elbows and the. I had a concussion, and, like, they saw the bruises. So they saw physical harm. They saw physical harm, so... And they were worried about me moving out here for that, you know, you're not going to have anyone, you know, that kind of thing. So that worried them a lot. Uh, And once I did move here, the abuse did continue, but they would still call, what's going on, how are you? But because I'm not... I don't talk a lot about what's happening, Mm -hmm. they ask the questions, you know. So, you know, that's interesting, because I think the, the... Interpretation that it was almost like gossipy interest. They yeah. were concerned about your safety. Yeah. They're asking questions. It's a little about. Nah, don't little get boat. me wrong. Okay. <laughs> They're a gossipy group. Okay. But because they did see a lot of the abuse, the physical uh, abuse, um, they they were yeah. worried. And I, you know, the important thing is remember it's because they love you. Like I, oh, I, yeah. I, I'm sure it comes from the right place. But I I felt that. And I, I understood that too, but they also are the judgy type. The they want to know. Now they want to help, but then it's well, why does she stay? I mean, what is she thinking? Why doesn't she just send him to jail and yeah, you know yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah. Which I did, you know, but it took me moving here actually for them for him to get. Locked you know, up. it's interesting that it was once you got the distance, the geographic distance, that you actually were able. Because I think sometimes families think that they're helping mm-hmm. by giving strong opinions, but it it usually makes a person kind of conflicted. Mm-hmm. Because it, let's say your family hates the guy, get rid of him. Most people don't hate their exes. Right. <laughs> like they have they have mixed feelings about them. They, they have do. strong positive and strong negative. So it sort of ignores all the positive things. But then on the flip to that, though, it, in my mind, it was how can you give me advice when your husband is doing this? You're still staying. You probably were sort of groomed for that role, and it's not a coincidence that you ended up with. My guess is he was a charming charismatic but volatile guy he was my dad was i just gotta say it he was a child molester no kidding and my mother stayed through all of that 
but he was the provider. Yeah. So now he didn't abuse me and his two, which is me and my baby sister, but the abuse happened to my older sisters. And so when I learned, I was furious. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you gotta be the most psychotic. Like, you're crazy. Yeah. Um, so, but she chose the comfort of being taken care of over her kids. And, and, us- and you didn't do that. And it was the hard decision. And you should own it and keep making that decision. This is for your daughter, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And for her future. 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're going to have a great son-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. I'm praying to God, so. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the group is pretty lighthearted and there's a lot of laughing and a lot of um, commiserating and it's an upbeat atmosphere. And other times we'll get a pretty heavy story um, and that will really dominate the conversation. Somebody who's dealt with abuse. We heard that Nina revealed some stuff outside of the group that she didn't reveal in group, um, mostly about her dad and, and some pretty serious transgressions. And I don't know if in a future group she might feel comfortable enough to share that but it's meaningful, and, and I think what she learned is that people with imperfect parents sometimes find themselves with an imperfect spouse. It's sort of training. She has practice reconciling, um, loving somebody and that person doing bad stuff. And I think uh, moving forward, she's gonna have to unlearn that. She's gonna have to learn to, to um, uh, maintain her distance for, from people who are doing bad stuff. And she got a lot of practice as a kid not doing that. And so I think her radar is much better tuned right now. She, she's probably much more aware of her propensity to be attracted to charismatic yet imperfect guys. And I think she's gonna be much less likely to be attracted to a guy like that in the future. Thank you for listening to Decoupling, Group Therapy with Dr. Paradise. If you enjoyed the episode, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. Also, Dr. Paradise would love to hear your questions or comments. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at DecouplingPod or on Facebook on the Decoupling Podcast page. Decoupling, Group Therapy with Dr. Paradise is a Mopac audio production. Producers are Chris Moss, Shannon McGarvey, and Jonathan Beale. Editing and music composition by Blake Maples. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.